For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. As Pastor Mark said, we are taking a short break in our normal sermon series through Romans to preach four sermons on the topic of ministering to one another in love. It has been realized by our pastors and leaders that we need to focus on this topic and be reminded of God's word regarding loving one another. Through elder oversight and conversation, small group leader feedback, attendance reports, and general observation by others, this topic of loving one another, particularly in and through our regularly called assemblies, is of need of attention and care. Therefore, I urge you to give your attention as we preach. The title of this first sermon is Loving One Another in Truth. My goal in expositing this text is to preach its meaning and to highlight the role of doctrine in it. Why? Why highlight the role of doctrine from this text? Because the Word of God is replete with references to its role and its indispensability in both your initial salvation and in your sanctification. By way of reminder, even in our own confession, chapter 1, verse, uh, paragraph 1 of the Holy Scriptures Halfway down it says, Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth. And listen to this. And for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary. So to unbelievers, you say, I will not listen nor heed the word of God, or worse, you feign a fealty to it. You lie to yourself about its nature, its source, and its authority. You suppress the truth and unrighteousness, figuratively stopping your ears in malice against the only good one. And so there are those in the world and some among us who are either like a hardened pathway, never listening, or like a rocky soil hearing only for an easy season, or those who like thorny soil, no longer hearing because of the cares of this world. Nevertheless, God has spoken, saying, on this one will I look, on him who is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Listen to Paul by the Spirit, who says that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Yet, on the other hand, the Scriptures say of some, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people grow dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. Hear the word in your short lives. The word of God is able to make you wise for salvation as well as make you hard for damnation. Therefore, take heed how you hear when this book is faithfully taught and preached. 
to you saints, remember how Christ saved you by the Spirit and the Word. It made you wise for salvation. Remember, Christ sanctified you and cleanses you with the washing of water by the Word. Now here, the Word preached from Ephesians, particularly 4, 12 through 15. Here as a good soil, with a noble and good heart given by the Spirit. Receive it in the presence of God this morning. By way of introduction to Ephesians, briefly. During Paul's third missionary journey in Acts 19, Paul pastored the Ephesian church for three years. This is a young congregation. After that, Timothy pastored the congregation for over a year and dealt with men like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who had risen up in the church teaching things like endless genealogies or ignorantly ignorantly teaching the law unlawfully. And if you will remember, this is exactly what Paul had warned the Ephesians about in Acts 20. In verses 28 through 31, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. That is another reason for you to heed the word when it's taught and preached, that you might be preserved and immunized against the error that comes up among us within our midst. And that is some of the most difficult things to deal with when it comes up. This epistle to the Ephesians was written by Paul three to five years later from prison in Rome. In this epistle, Paul reminds the Ephesian congregation and God reminds us by appropriate extension of sound doctrine and practice. The first three chapters, a six-chapter book, First three chapters deal with sound doctrine, and the last three with sound practice on the basis of that doctrine. Behold the relationship of doctrine to life. Even in this introduction that I'm giving you to the Ephesian book, and do that with me by looking at chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then look at what he says in verse 1 of 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That, therefore, is a pivot for the whole book. He pivots from doctrine in three chapters with this big, therefore. Walk worthy. Because of these truths, because of what you know, what you've been taught, because the gospel to which you have been delivered, therefore, I beseech you, walk worthy. The doctrine grounds and informs the life. Now let's read Ephesians 4, 12 through 15. 
For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the, of the fullness of Christ, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Notice how we did not read verse 11 or 16. It's good to ask why, because verses 11 through 16 form a grammatical unit of thought. This whole section is revealing what Christ has done upon ascending into glory as mediator and head of the church. And then it shares why Christ has given these gifts. In verse 8, the text says, He ascended on high and gave gifts to men. What were those gifts which Paul highlights here? They are roles and or offices given to certain believers. Namely, they are roles which minister the word of God. Look at it closely in verse 11. Apostles minister the word. Prophets, speakers of the word of God. Evangelists, they speak the gospel. And pastors and teachers teaching the word of God. Notice deacons are not mentioned. Deacons existed when Paul wrote this letter. He did not include them because there is an an intentional focus on those gifts given by Christ who minister the word. Not that deacons aren't wise and cannot minister, but that they are not in that office primarily focused on teaching. If I were preaching through the book of Ephesians myself and came to the section in verses 11 through 16, I would preach a sermon on verse 11 alone, then on 12 through 15, then on 16. However, given this sermon series' topic of loving one another, I am focusing on verses 12 through 15 because they serve, listen, they serve, these verses serve as support for verse 11. They particularly addresses address our church's need well. Essentially, 12 through 15 answer this question. What were the purposes of Christ in giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to his church? What was the purposes of Christ in doing that? I think as you hear this this morning and hear why, for what purpose, do we have elders? And you can answer that from this text you will have a a renewed reminder or for the first time, a renewed mind from this text as to the importance of heeding the word taught from them. This text answers, why did Christ give gifts who minister the word to the church? Why would he do that? Why would Christ ascend on high and give gifts like these men, like these office holders to the church? What's the purpose the three points of the sermon come from the text and answer these, these question, this question. Again, what were the purposes of Christ's gifts to the church? First point of the sermon, 
for the purpose of equipping the saints. Second, not for the purpose of spiritual instability and immaturity. Third, but for the purpose of growth in Christ. First, what was the purpose of Christ giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to the church? Look, uh, keep the text close to you as we look at it. The text begins with, for the equipping of the saints. This Greek word for equipping means to make fully ready. Carries the sense of completion instead of process. In the medical world, this world, this word for equipping would be used to mean fully setting a bone. In context, though, Jesus Christ resurrected in glory as the God-man ascended into heaven and himself personally chosen persons to equip all his saints for ministry work. These gifted men are given all that is necessary by the Spirit to minister the word to their respective congregations for the purpose of this, making those believers completely ready to do the work of Christian ministry. And I'll call them equippers. These equippers are not self-made. They're gifts from Christ. Their trade is not done with a wrench or a hammer. It's not done in operating complex technology like a ship or an aircraft. It's not... Their trade is not done with a scalpel. It's not done with civil law like a lawyer. It's not done with oratory like a philosopher. Their trade, their craft, is the word of the living God. Christ gives them grace to make his people fully ready to do the work of the ministry by using the word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters and those who are listening, Do not despise Christ's equippers, especially as they speak the word of God to you. For to do so is to despise Christ's will for your readiness in his kingdom, for your ability to serve in his kingdom. Christ's purpose in giving gifts is not merely to equip, though, for the work of the ministry. There's a a continuation here. He wills that all the saints work for a subsequent purpose. So, first of all, Christ ascends. Then he gives gifts. Those people are equippers. They equip the people of God. Now the people of God are equipped to do what? Work, serve, exercise their spiritual gifts and disciplines, right? What is their purpose? What is your purpose in serving? You say you're equipped, you listen, you know the word of God, and you have been saved, you're a member here. What is the purpose of your work in the ministry? In the text, it says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are other things, but in this text, the focus is on the edification of the church. How are we supposed to be edified? By the universal ministry of the saints. How are we supposed to be equipped to minister? By receiving the word from Christ's gifts. This is the clear biblical path to the church's edification. Saints are equipped by ministers of the word with a correct understanding of scripture. Those 
they obey in faith that self-same word and serve in their various capacities. Then as they serve and minister in love, using that word, the church is built up, strengthened, and edified. Try, try to step up, take a step back from your own immediate personal context and think about the glorious design of it. How Christ would have a people unified understanding what they ought to do, equipped properly with his word and ministering. Think about good examples among us. Think about how people run across assurance issues. They run across marital issues. They run across all kinds of issues with sin plaguing their conscience, with sin affecting the way that they believe things. And how there are examples among us that can come alongside, share the word of God, and be a comfort and be an encouragement, and be a rebuke. And how that person who receives that and is like a a listening ear, an obedient ear, they are edified. Imagine having a whole congregation like that with people who are equipped to serve one another, sharing what they're taught, that everyone else might be edified, and a whole congregation of people working together those people will not be easily moved. Application. Pastors, uh, as your equal, I say this with the utmost respect, as your loving brother and as your inferior, as a member of the church and not a pastor, uh, I say this with respect to your office as well, but in considering the text and wanting to make application both to you and the congregation, let this sink down into your conscience as a reminder. Continue, brothers, to equip us for the work of the ministry. You are Christ's gift to us, and he is with you. Use your own gifts to minister to us the word. Teach us doctrine boldly. And preach the word without the fear of man. Remember your trade. Your tool is not a wrench or a hammer or even oratory. It is the word of God. Study it and preach it. And children of God, by way of application, our present pastors here are Pastor Mark, Pastor Dale, and Pastor Michael. They are gifts from Christ. They are not self-made. They were selected. They were given the spiritual gifts necessary for their office. They labor to lead and equip the membership of Cornerstone Baptist Church in such a way as to make them fully ready to do the work of the ministry publicly, privately, at home, at church, at work. Attend the regularly called services. Attend the regularly called services. Because Christ purposes to equip you through them to obey. Small group is a regularly called time where we've committed to attend. Our pastors, with the proper use of authority given to them, have appointed able teachers of the word in their stead, such as at small group. Heed our admonitions. Follow the good examples. You have good examples of what it looks like to be faithful to these things. You can see the equation. They're faithful in that. 
and they always have a wise word, and they're always at joy and have peace. I'm not saying they're perfect, but you can tell that stability they have. There's a direct correlation with them getting equipped by applying themselves and making themselves available to be teachable and making decisions in their life that allow them to come. They make sacrifices. That's why they're so stable and strong among us. They value rightly what the word of God says and they prioritize the word over other things. They don't let thorns get into their life. I'm not saying they're sinless and I'm not pointing anybody's fingers. I'm not propping anybody up. But I'm just saying, I really want to preach to not bring false guilt on anyone, but to take wherever sin has encrusted its way into your thinking and into your heart to allow you to develop ungodly habits. I want to hit that, and I want, I pray and have prayed that the Spirit would not allow you to rest over that anymore. How long, though, should this equipping for work for edification go on in the church? How long should it go on? From the text, it's going to answer that. How long will Christ himself give gifts to the church? What's going to happen after we die? If Christ doesn't return, he's going to continue giving gifts. He's going to continue equipping people. And he's going to continue to edify his church. Ultimately, it's all to his glory, and he is the one that is our sovereign. But how long, you may ask, and it says in the text, until we all arrive at these goals, to unity and maturity in Christ. In verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul uses two phrases there after unity it's the unity of the faith and it's the unity of the knowledge of the son of god so if we are to continue equipping continue working continuing edification until we reach unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god what does that mean and essentially even though it's a temporal statement like until then it reveals a goal the goal is that we be unified It's implicit, but it's true. The first, though, is the unity of the faith, and the second is the knowledge of the Son of God. The faith here means the biblical content of what we believe. You know, creation, heaven, the stars, the law of God written on your heart, having a a faculty to judge right from wrong, and conscience, those things are not sufficient to reveal to you the gospel and to make you wise for salvation. You are in need of special revelation, and God has given it. And God has given it. And this, not only in what it says by letter, but all that it teaches, all that it reveals of God and of reality, and of God's will and of Biblical theology, all of it is the content of which we believe. And some are more understanding and have had more time and they know more than others. But essentially, that is the faith. 
And faith here, or uh, unity here, is produced by that content. The faith here means the biblical content of what we believe. The knowledge of the Son of God is that which the Word reveals and is appropriated by faith. As we understand God's Word by faith, and as we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, we come to unity as the one people of God. If in time we are not equipping and being equipped with the knowledge of the Son of God, we are missing the goal of our edification and thereby undermining our unity. I'm going to repeat that. If in time we are not equipping and being equipped with the knowledge of the Son of God, we are missing the goal of our edification and thereby undermining our unity. The last part of verse 13 describes the entire body of Christ as a mature man. So this is not speaking of individuals, but of the entire church. So if you'll just imagine the entire church figuratively as if it were a human man. Men don't come into the world except Adam as a man. They start out in the womb and they become a child, an infant. And then they grow up and then they learn how to walk and they learn how to talk. And then they learn how to do a profession or a vocation. And then they become a mature man. This is what Paul is saying that us as the church uh, will, our edification needs to lead to. Is that us as a church lead to a mature man. That we're not little, an infant church. And I don't mean locally, I mean universally, but it can be applied locally. Paul's applying it to them. The church is not merely is not to merely exist. We're not merely to just coast and exist and just be. But rather we are to develop. We are to grow into a full grown man. The church is uh, the maturity must be in ch- church's conformity to the image of Christ, and you can see that there in to a perfect man, and that perfect there really could be better translated as mature, to the measure, that is literally a measurement, of the stature, the maturity of the fullness of Christ. So the maturity must be in the church's conformity to the image of Christ. How long do we equip, work, and edify to a measuring point which is the stature of the fullness of Christ? In short, as we abide and mature in Christ, He is our strength, our hope, and our standard for spiritual maturity. Okay, moving to the next point, we have a second purpose of Christ's gift. Second, if you read there, that we should no longer, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about. In other words, Christ's gifts to the church are for the purpose that we no longer be spiritually immature and unstable. 
The word, of, the word for ch- child or children here is not the same word that you see in chapter five, verse one, where Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. In that context, it's a positive sense. That child there is meant more like progeny, offspring, just a person that's related. A, a, a child to a father. But here in chapter four, verse 14, that children means little babe. That's relevant because properly understood and considered in this warning section, he does not use the word children there in a positive sense. This is what we don't want to be as a church. We don't want to be a fledgling little babe church. I'm not talking about that you must be a child as an individual in your heart to enter the kingdom of God. That's an object lesson Christ gave when he put a little baby in his lap and he said, you need to be innocent, humble, and trusting of God. And if you don't have a spirit like you see in this child with reference to the kingdom of God and Christ, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What he's talking about is regeneration. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about individual regeneration. He's talking about the church as, as a body of Christ, it is not to uh, not grow. It is to grow. It is to uh, become a full-grown, mature man. And, and, and it, uh, that interpretation also goes well with the previous context of the mature man. So, the attention of this verse is given to doc. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Also, I want to give you another verse that the Bible uses for babe. Hebrews 5.13. You don't have to turn there. It says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That's the same Greek word that Paul's using here. And, he, and it's used in the same general sense. Given Paul's selection of this word, distinct from the word children in Ephesians 1, the meaning of this word is in contrast to the mature man in verse 13. The word's place in this warning, the word is used, in, with, is used with a negative connotation. Paul is saying that Christ purposes the church to no longer be little babes tossed and carried about. The phrase tossed to and fro is figurative of being at sea. And the phrase carried about is figurative of uh, one example is clouds being carried by the wind. For example, Hebrews 13.9 uses this carried about in a similar context. He says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. In Hebrews 13.9, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now observe something with me in this text. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about. How? How were they carried about? With every wind of doctrine. And by the trickery, that's, that's actually cunning of men. Men are cunning. We are cunning. We are master deceivers of our own hearts. And the moment we take that and we start applying it to other people, we can be very contorted and twisted in the way we argue about things. You can have somebody that hadn't read a whole lot, 
but they are really good at twisting up things. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So what I want you to draw your attention to in this verse is that it is given to doctrine and false teachings. It says every wind of doctrine, the cunning of men, and deceitful schemes. That's planning and plotting. All these things are errors which target what? The mind. The way you think. What you think you know. What establishes the framework for how you believe and what you believe. All this error is attacking your understanding. And that's where if you're a babe, you are going to be easily persuaded through indirect or direct persuasion, things that, cha- that change your thinking about things. A believer is a babe if he is unskilled in the word. Likewise, we are little babes if we're easily deceived. A believer is like a cloud carried about by the wind, and he is affected by various and strange doctrines. Likewise, we are carried about if we believe false doctrines and are easily persuaded persuaded by liars. And since Paul uses plural for children instead of the singular to, to reference the body in solidarity from earlier, I want to address you as individuals at this point. So let me ask you an application. Given your literal age, your education, and your duration as a believer, where are you? Are you doctrinally ignorant? Do you know how to study and meditate on the Word of God? Do you know how to apply biblical principles in your life? Do you know the gospel well? Could you identify a false gospel in a nominal Christian? Are you easily persuaded by words, ideas, and teachings which cannot be supported by Scripture? Are you unskilled in the word of righteousness? If you're answering those rhetorical questions, yes, Repent of dullness and of being sluggardly. Put on Christ and apply yourself to the word. Faithfully attend our regularly called assemblies and seek out the truth from your elders and able teachers. Trust God and study his word that you might grow into Christ. That brings us to the last point. Third, from the text, in contrast to being little children, Christ purposes us to grow up into him by speaking the truth in love. So still using the analogy of a human's growth and maturity, Paul reveals last that the contrasting purpose of Christ in giving gifts to the church is that the whole church grows up into him as his body and fullness by speaking the truth in love. This last verse is referencing the whole church's growth into Christ. Don't think of it individually. Let me read it. Verse 14, it said that we should no longer be, and then verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. 
So think about that as the church, as a whole, as a unit for, for a moment. That's what he's focusing. We as God's people will grow up into Christ as Christ's body by speaking God's word to one another in love. I, I'm, because of that correlation that I made earlier about those who are applying and availing themselves of the teachings and the preachings and the regularly called assemblies and they are being equipped and their lives of stability, I bet you if I went to the majority of those who are not faithful, that they would be unable to speak well the word of God in love for the edification of God's people. They, I'm not saying that that's an absolute, but there is a relationship between you not being equipped and therefore not knowing how to do the work with the word and therefore not being a means by which the church is edified and therefore you are not one if that is your pattern and habit who is able to speak the truth in love rightly because speaking the truth in love isn't speaking your heart. It's not speaking your, your reasoning. It doesn't, my dear brothers and sisters and uh, those who are listening it doesn't matter what you think about anything. It matters what God has said. We need to always appeal to what God has said. Let this be a paradigm shifter. Let it crash over your ideas. Let your ideas and the way that you think about sin, the way you think about righteousness, the way you think about God, the way you think about Christ, let it all just have reign over you. The reason why is if you don't, you're going to think according to your own wisdom and then when you speak to people to try to help, you're not helping. You're not helping. You have to know this. You have to know it. If you don't know the word, you cannot and will not function properly in the body of Christ. The body of Christ will not grow as Christ purposes it if you do not know the word and speak it to one another. So in conclusion, remember these purposes of Christ's gifts. First, Christ gave gifts to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints. Second, he did not give these gifts to the church for their spiritual immaturity and instability. Third, but rather he gave them for the purpose of the church's growth in Christ. Therefore, by way of final application, faithfully avail yourself of the regularly called assemblies and be eager to be equipped for the work of the ministry. I know what I just said is not easy for some. For some, they already have good habits and it's not something that seems like it's a difficult thing. They got to continue to persevere and continue to deny sin and not be you know, uh, lazy or fall asleep like in Pilgrim's Progress. But I'm talking now to those who when they hear, faithfully avail myself of the regularly called assemblies and they think a small group an evening. They've already, because it's a pattern, have a stalwart defense to maintain that pattern. 
And I'm asking you, brother, to be, or sister, to be eager to be equipped for the work of the ministry and come and listen in the fear of God that you might be equipped to serve. I know, you know, there's people who they don't take jobs so that they can be faithful. They stay in a job pattern in order to maintain a schedule that allows them. And I'm, I'm not trying to, to speak to anybody in particular. I'm just saying, that's the kind of thought processes you need to have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When, when you start down that path of neglect, and you make a decision to commit to something and you make another decision to commit to something else, it only becomes that much more difficult to look back and say, I can't do those things. And for that person who is in that rut, they're going to have to be like Josiah and throw down a bunch of idols. It breaks my heart when I sit in a, in a small group meeting with elders or with small group leaders, and they tell me about somebody I love and I know as a Christian, and yet they have had a pattern for years. And it started with an example, uh, some kind of trial that then turned into an excuse for just maintaining a pattern because of their closeness of their relationships with certain people and because of the patience and mercy of God's people here and our love, we labor with them, we pray for them, and we continue to remind them. We, keep, we, we patiently think, how and when should I come back to this person to talk to them? I'm going to wait. You know, I'm going to wait three weeks. And then the third week comes and you're like, okay, in your mind, this is like the very serious conversation. And then they, they, sometimes they'll bring the same things out. Sometimes they'll cry. But then the behavior is the same. You've got to throw down those idols. You've got to see that this is what you need. And we need you. We need you to be speaking the truth among us. We need you to be like examples. We need you to be like Christ. We want to see you grow. We want to see you not stay where you are. We don't want to see you stay in adolescent or in puberty. We want to see you grow up along with the church into a full man. So, uh, I'm going to end it there. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, I pray that your word would run. Lord, I pray that we would... Uh, Uh, be a faithful church. And I thank you for the grace that you have given us. I praise you that your word does run among us and you have opened our hearts and that I have the privilege of being with them and we with each other. I praise you for all the wisdom among us and the examples given. I praise you for the light that shines and the saltiness of our fellowship. Lord, I pray though that you would uh, cast down strongholds, cast down arguments and any idols. Capture our hearts, Lord. Turn us away from thorny things in our lives. Let us not be ensnared or entangled as Pastor Mark had taught us this morning from Timothy, but rather 
free, Lord, free to serve, free to uh, grow in grace and uh, be a means of edification of your church for your glory. Amen. Hello, and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.